0: This Magic the Gathering podcast and many more can be heard online at mannerdeprived.com/podcasts. Leave a comment and tell us what you think. Michael J. So
1: there are, if any, criticisms of the Ancestral Recall podcast. One of, I would say, the top three Magic the Gathering podcasts that currently exist. There are two criticisms I've heard from you. From me? Yeah, but I don't know if any of our true fans uh, in Canada have these criticisms, but I've heard them from you. Mayhap from... hmm, Star City Games open or uh, invitational competitors that you may be battling against, you know. So two criticisms I heard. Number one, too much Michael J. talking, not enough Roman Fusco talking. This is true. Too many Michael J. articles, (laughs) not enough other people articles. So our problem is too much Michael J. (laughs) Too much Michael J. squared. Now, in honor of your birthday, because it was just your birthday, I am willing to correct briefly on both of these vectors, just for this week. Okay, so fair enough. So what I've done, because I was so hype over that Brian Hacker stuff last week, I've just been mono chatting with Hacker on. Oh, really? Okay, he's like. First of all, he's been playing again. Oh, I know out of nowhere. And he's like, of course, I'll play teams with you. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, my God, this entails. Like, so I'm recruiting different like Grand Prix champions. I'm like, huh." Uh, you, know, you have like, to
0: win the PPTQ. first.
1: What? That's what I said. You know, he's like, I'll play with you like, again yeah, if I haven't won yet. Um, and then I'm like, they're like are you going to fly me to San Diego? And I'm like, no, <laughs> why should I go? We're going to play with Hacker. Like, you know, that, that's not maybe in, enough. But maybe it should be. I don't know. Maybe there's local Grand Prix or Pro Tour champions who would want to play with Hacker. Anyway. 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 I selected two articles from the Brian Hacker. over. Uh, the first one is an article called The New Pool Holes, Gambling, and Magic, which is widely considered the most famous Brian Hacker article. I would like you to read The New Pool halls. All right. You will be the primary reader of this one. This is... The number one most famous Brian Hacker article. <clears throat> However, the new Poll Calls is only a thousand words long, so that's going to be like fifteen seconds of Ancestor Recall <laughs> podcast. So, what I thought we would do, only <laughs> get like, fifteen seconds, is well, it's the it's the best fifteen seconds of his career as a writer. Okay, right? okay. Secondly, though, I just pulled, I just went to the old Usenet and pulled a Brian Hacker tournament report uh, from Pro Tour Paris, and how about I read that one? Sure, cool. All right, so. We're going to start out with The New Pool Halls, Gambling and Magic by Brian Hacker. As read by Ancestry Hall podcast host,
0: <laughs> Roman, Roman Fusco. Fusco. <laughs> the New Pool Halls, Gambling and Magic by Brian Hacker. The Hustler by Walter Tevis was the book that broke the floodgates open. Middle-class America knew nothing of the atmosphere which lurked within the American institution known as the Pool Hall before Tevis' book openly addressed its subculture of deviants, hustlers, players, and otherwise shady individuals. It mythologized the smoky rooms filled with miscreants. Men some described as losers, dreamers. Men whose lives others from the outside accused of being wasted largely due to the incredible number of hours spent playing on green velvet. These men viewed their lives differently. But to the outside world, the pool hall was a den of evil. Pool halls were also notorious for a reason that doesn't hold true today. They were nearly completely absent women. Time at the pool hall was time away from the house, away from the wife, away from a thousand responsibilities. This was part of its lore. The pool hall was a self-contained universe, operating on its own laws, or the value system of the white middle class was ignored. By the time the 70s and 80s rolled around, the situation had drastically changed. Pool halls were devoid of their seedy reputation. Pool halls appealed to all ages and all incomes. Posh billiard rooms opened in the (coughs) nicest parts of towns, and the mythological status of the pool room had all but vanished. Until recently, there was no comparable place in American life. I love that paragraph. It's a really well-written paragraph
1: introducing something that has nothing to do. Am I reading the magic article? (laughs) This is one of the greatest magic articles.
0: I like it. I sent you these ahead of time so you'd be familiar. I know, I know. I read it ahead of time. I'm just highlighting the...
1: Canada, I'm not sure if you actually read it ahead of time.
0: (laughs) Might be lying. (laughs) Anyway. Canada. Magic the Gathering is played by people all over the world who only dimly know that there is such a thing as the Pro Tour. Even people who qualify regularly for events may not know about what pro players do when the tournament has long been over or when the field is reduced to eight. The casual observer may never notice where most of the Pro Tour players are come sundown. You may need to look in cafeterias and bars and hotel lobbies. You may need to stay awake well into the midnight hours. You may have to search high and low to find the mecca of modern magic, the modern pool hall that is the Pro Tour money game circuit. The main players are people who have reputations on the Pro Tour. No one is surprised to see the names Nate Clark, David Bachman, Gabe Tseng, John Yu, Hammer Rainier, John Finkel, Pete Leer, Jason Opalka, and Worth Wolpert. These are regular Pro Tour people. Who command respect between the ropes. There are also a sampling of those who regularly turn up to shell out their 50 to play in one of the most enjoyable formats ever created in Magic. Team Money Draft. The preferred preferred format is 3-on-3, but 4-on-4 and 2-on-2 are almost as common. The stakes are usually $50 a head, but an occasional $40 money game isn't unheard of. Even $100 money games turn up on occasion. When the competitors are well known and confident in themselves and their team, what do you guys play for? And what in money draft? I don't usually money draft. I've like been in team draft league where we've like paid fifty dollars for or twenty five for like entry, and it pays to the top you four just finishers. Play for packs? No, we pay for for cash. Top four get paid. Oh, so it's like a pool. Yeah, I see. Well, I've never
1: done like a singular money draft. So. The worst is if you're like money drafting with like members of Watsi staff because they're not allowed to gamble, so you have to stake them. So (laughs) I'll be like, I spent a weekend once staking a member of Watsi uh, Watsi staff. He's like, I can't gamble. So like, it's my it's like my my forty against their twenty every time. You know? Yeah. Hashtag Watsy staff. (laughs) can't gamble i can
0: play can't gamble all right all right so I, i'm gambling for both of us i guess people play team money draft for as many different reasons as there are people who play them some play for the money looking to hustle scrubs ducking famous pro tour players some play for prestige showing off their skills to other magic players in a closed forum others play for uh, com- uh i can't say this word C- camaraderie camaraderie <laughs> camaraderie like what we have Camaraderie. <laughs> camaraderie. Uh <laughs> Cheering their teams on, rarely getting the opportunity to play in team games. Soon even play for practice knowing that opportunities like this don't come often. The atmosphere is intense, with Dream feature matches the norm. David Bachman vs. Truck Trukbui. Truck Buoy. Truck buoy? Gabe Sang vs. Tom Gwevin? Gwevin. Gwevin. Tied Tommy. <laughs> two-time Pro Tour finalist. Okay. Pila Hare vs. Jason Apalka. Igor Frayman vs. Chris Bakula. I know that one. Don Gallitz vs. Steve omahony Shorts. Matches like these probably count for the pro- the popularity of the money game circuit. Decent-sized crowds often turn up to watch these matches. Some bystanders itch to enter the occasion- the action after seeing only but a few getting their team ready as they watch some playoff between Worth-Wolpert and Aziz Alduri. Any history of the Pro Tour would be hollow, Without an account of some of the, mo- the more famous of these matches. And some, like Chris Bakula versus Eager Freeman or Jersey versus Hitman, have become regular parts of a Pro Tour, as much a part of the draw as the finals.
1: So, just so you know, Jersey is like Dave Bachman, probably John Finkel in this era. Mm-hmm. Hitman is the Dickheads. So, what happened was uh, Hacker was captain of Team Dickhead, mm-hmm. but when they got like official uh, team sponsorship, they couldn't have a team called Dickhead. <laughs> So they changed their name to the hit,
0: man. <laughs> so these, these, these team money drafts, are, they, are these just like side events that they're doing at Pro Tours? Side like, events. Side, side events, it. but you know what I mean. Like they're doing It's like at, three on
1: three. Yeah. But you play for, I mean, I would play for 20s back then, right? So um, like a typical thing, like I'll tell you what happened at, um, I don't know, uh, Grand Prix Philadelphia one year, right? So we're done with the event. And it's, like, me and a multiple-time Pro Tour Top 8 competitor and a Hall of Famer, you know, and uh, we would just, like, battle whoever would battle us for 20s, and then go get Pat's King of Steaks, and then go battle whoever battle us for 20s again for, like, another three drafts, and then be like, oh, it's, like, 4 in the morning, we need more cheese steaks, and then go to Geno's, which is across the street from Pat's King of Steaks, mm-hmm. come back, and then battle over battle us. And then, at, at the you know, the Grand Prix ended at, like, you know, 9, and then we played until, I don't know, wow. 8 in the morning the next day. And then I, just, I was just like, I have to do no a mistake. Because I, I went to Penn, right, which is in... The office. I was meeting a girl the next day. <laughs> so, my strategy was <laughs> to not get a hotel room but stay up all night money drafting because I wanted to impress someone the next day. Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, my magic strategy was even worse than this strategy. <laughs> but yeah, now that'd be a thing. Like back in the day, we you know, this is, uh, this article came out in excess of 20 years ago, I think. Wow. So, um, A lot of the old-timers lament the decline of the money draft game at the Pro Tour because people, they don't do it as much anymore.
0: I would encourage any serious Magic player to extend their trip to the Pro Tour that extra day. Stay till Monday. Play through the night on Sunday. Follow the caravan down to the empty rooms at 4 in the morning. (laughs) Uh, Follow everyone to the cafeteria where another 4-on-4 is just starting. Follow the crowd down to where all that's needed is some empty tables, a few fat wallets, land, and some product. For me, that's where you'll find the purest magic is being played. Draft for its own sake. The incentive, perhaps, the $50, but just as much the glory and fame in winning it. Cheating rare because this is magic for us. Highly competitive magic where where players still play for fun. Any sampling of the trash-talking, permanent slamming, Boasting and the overall bravado would lead one to think that this is wrestling or basketball, where showmanship is as much a part of the game as mastery. When people write about the search for fun, magic, and that search turns up empty at their local store, I would only suggest that they head down to the new pool hall, the corner of the room where the money plays are made, where Gary Wise and Gabe Sang are settling for another $50 two-on-two. Where Team Jersey attempts to beat us one more time, where our dead guys Tongo and David Bachman coexist in peace. Yes, brother, come on down to the greatest show on Magic Earth, the Pro Tour Money Game. So the reason the stakes were a bit higher is like if you just play for twenties, it's just paying for the packs,
1: basically. That's the that's the thing. It's just like a small return on your time. It is gambling, though. Yeah. Right? So um, I think like you know gambling is a little bit frowned upon, but um, I, I most of the most of the Pro Tour players of of uh, this era came up as money drafters, and I think that remember last week we were talking about how Madison is better than everywhere else. Unlimited, yep. Madison is a place where this kind of culture continues, and the guys from Madison love to go to Grand Prix. And um, I don't know, maybe it's something that uh, a lot of them say that that's where their skill comes from—that they mm-hmm. they actually play for something, right? So yeah. if you just play. It's different from playing for something, Mm -hmm. which incentivizes you to win more. One of the things that I remember really deeply, um, maybe like early two thousands, is um I played so much harder when I was playing for fun than I played in tournaments typically. And one of the reasons for that was like I just remember just like, oh, whatever, I screwed up and like hand over my money. And a good friend of mine was just like, you understand when you screw up in this context and you hand over your money, I'm handing over my money now too, right? Like, you didn't just lose a game of magic and, like, you have money in your pocket, right? So it does not really bother you. But you have to understand something, which is that you just cost your two friends, you know, 20 or 50 or whatever we were playing for each also. And I was like, oh, shoot. I have to play double tight because... I care about these guys who are my teammates, right? And it changed my perspective on how to play in team events versus other stuff.
0: Hmm. Just, I don't know. No, I've I definitely experienced this. Like, so. I felt, like, horrible after that experience. No, actually. I gotcha. And so when I used to play in, in Team Draft League, um, I was on a team one time with uh, Andy Longo, um, and Grand Prix Champion. Grand Prix Champion, champion any longer. Nice ago. super brags. Um, and he's he's really good at, you know, he's been team drafting forever, right? Yeah. I was on his team. I, it was like my my second or third season in the league. Um who was your third? Uh Gabrielli. I don't know him. Huh? Okay. Uh he's like the he was the commissioner of the, the league at the time. He was the commish? Yeah. You better play fair Roman. <laughs> Uh, but I remember always feeling like the first like week or two, like the, the death stare from from Longo, just watching my games after in between his games, because after my games he'd be like, "You did this wrong, you did this wrong, you did this wrong. Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do this?" All right. <laughs> the next time he does something like that to you, I want you to
1: remember something. In the Grand Prix that Longo won, he did not win a single match on day one. <laughs> Zero matches did he win? On we're day not here
0: one. To, to. His teammates won all. Then he we're, he was tight on day two. <laughs> We're not Day one. to Marie, Andy Longo. All right. <laughs> uh, but anyway. Uh, and he won the Grand Prix, so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but uh, I, you know, I always wanted to, like, impress him. That was my goal the like, the whole season was to just, play, learn how to play tighter at team draft and, like, draft better. Impress. And, like, so So when he's Andy watching Walker. my games, he could give me a, a little nod of approval instead I, of just, like uh, you know, Roman, why why the fuck do we <laughs> doing that? I like it, no. uh, and you know, towards the end of the season, I got a lot better. I was like making better attacks, I was making better plays, and you know, once in a while, I would get that kind of nod, Andy Longo nod of approval <laughs> here and there, and that's what that's what I, I worked for. Um, so, all right, so
1: we're gonna switch this up a little bit. Brian Hacker was known as a limited strategist, but he was also known as perhaps the greatest tournament report writer ever in Magic. Mm-hmm. Right, so. Uh, unfortunately, the articles from the area that Hacker wrote in are very difficult to find, so this, I just I spent a little time, like, trying to find an article that had some substance to it. Like, a lot of the stuff he wrote was just, like, PTQ articles. Back then, they let pros play in PTQs, so he would just win PTQs and then, like, you know, make somebody cry, <laughs> you know, so um, and then take, like, the travel award and then go gamble it away at the end of the night. Like, you're just like, and then we went to the strip club in Vegas, right? <laughs> That's, like, how the, all the tournament reports ended. So, this is actually a Pro Tour report, and this is very typical of Hacker in, like, the 1997 era. This is um, from Pro Tour Paris, 1997, which I believe was the first international Pro Tour, hmm. And it was the first Pro Tour that had the Paris Mulligan. So prior to this event, Mulligans were all land or no land only. So if you had a seven land hand or a zero land hand, you could Mulligan. If you did not, you—and you, I think you drew seven, actually. Oh, cool. Yeah. You couldn't just, like, mulligan a hand for, for you know, I don't like these cards, you know, mm-hmm. like we can now. And go to six. Okay. Take it away. This is Brian Hacker's Team Dickhead Paris report. <clears throat> I'm clearing my throat here. Hello, all. Once again, attorney report coming from across the hemisphere. Team Dickhead dropped into Paris a week before the tourney and stayed on a couple days after. The experience was rewarding in many ways. Here's the inside scoop. Saturday. Team dickhead drops 22 bills at Vegas just hours before going to Paris. Yes, that's right. 2.2 Gs. 11,000 francs or $2,200. Take your pick. The worst luck I've ever seen at a casino. Oh, well, we thought. We at least worked up some good karma for Paris. Sunday. Arrive in Paris. Paris is warmer than expected and quite beautiful. Unfortunately, Sunday is gay night at every club in the city, so after making our rounds, we go to the hotel and pass out. Monday, go to the Queen after a filthy session at a peep show that can't be printed on a PG News group. Queen is the premier Parisian gay men's club. For those of you still wondering, no, Team Dickhead is not gay. None of us are. Queen is a huge jumping discotheque, well worth it. By the end of the evening, we are all exhausted and eat our 6.30 breakfast at our hotel. That is, after I hung out with Tetka, a French model I met there. Hi, Tetka! <laughs> Tuesday. We decide to go to a casino in the north of Paris. We drop in and are told that the casino is everything we could want, we can't get in because of our attire. I guess orange hair isn't big in Paris. Was Brian the with the orange hair? He had orange and blue hair at this wow. point, yeah. We quickly establish a regiment for our trip. Sleep till the afternoon, eat, go to the discotheque. Tuesday, we have another filthy session at Le Cure which we can't tell you about, and then scour the town for clubs. Wednesday. Start playtesting. Get bored quickly and leave to continue the regiment. Go to La Scala, a club for toddlers and infants with horrible music. Blah! Thursday. Meet up with all our cross-country friends and begin to playtest. I meet up with Herlong and playtest a bit with him before working with Baxter. He shows me a three-color deck with a good mana curve. I show him preferred selection. All in all, a good trade. Go back to the hotel to show Truck Long Buoy, the white-green-red deck that Baxter and I worked on. He likes it, and we put it together for him and me. Daddy U, or the unknown magic player, puts together a red-white blaster deck. Pretty decent, but doesn't have any advantage over a red-black. Super Z puts together Mystery, a deck that seems to have everything in it, but what makes sense to be in it. We rag on Zila until we fall asleep at something like 3.30. Friday. This is like the night before the Pro Tour. Just yeah, <laughs> like I understood that. So you get understand they get there a week early, start to play test, get bored, and then just go to gay clubs. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was the team dickhead Regiment. But he picked up Tetka, the French model, pretty good. Friday, the field looks just like we expected. Black Red is in full force. Bloom and Straight Red are also there. We learn that the foreigners have some of the jankiest ideas ever as we encounter the field. Truck and I fear running into the jank today as we figure it will get weeded out by Saturday. Our name tags have nothing under our name, so Truck writes LBC Cali, John writes Southside Cali, and I write CPT Cali. While I intend this to mean Compton, California, everyone calls me Captain Cali throughout the day. Oh well. So here goes my day. Round 1. Play straight red. Show him honorable passage. 2-1, CPT Cali. Round 2. Play Black Red. Show him Scalebane's elite. 2-0 CPT Cali. Round three. Play the Jenny Craig deck, where all the creatures are overcosted and fat. Lose horribly after torturing the dude out first game. He calls over a judge to accost me for having one foreign mountain in my deck. I happily replace it. But here is Katino in Warning 1. 2-1 foreign jank. Wait, you couldn't have a foreign mountain in his deck? Dude, the is... Stuff was whack back then. What? <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, how do you not have all matching lands, right? Like, there's like, who stays up the night before the pro tour? This was a different era. They yeah. didn't know stuff. <coughs> all they knew how to do was draft better than everyone else. But probably if you were having as much fun as them, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have worried about it either. Round four, play another black-red deck. Show him a mirac- miraculous-recovered scale main. He shows me Everglades. Not pleasant. 2-1 CPT Cali. So just go with this. You know what Honorable Passage is? It's white and one instant um, counter all the damage from a source. If the damage is red, it deals damage to its controller. So that'd be pretty good against a red deck.
0: It's like the bomb.
1: It's very similar to them, uh, but it doesn't, you know, damage any. It's any red, but it could like stop the damage, like a burn spell on a creature, for example. Like yeah. if you're an incinerate creature, you can def- you can honorable passage and then still nug the nug them for three. three. Scalebane Elite is a G white three for a four four protection from black. He's referenced it twice against black red decks. Red decks in this era probably could not remove a (laughs) 4-4. So... The fact that Protection from Black is quite strong against Black Red decks.
0: Mm -hmm. What's What's Everglades?
1: Everglades is uh, a land, and it uh, taps for G1, but you have to return an untapped land uh, to your hand when you play it. It's like a... It's literally the Karoo cycle. There's actually the card Karoo. You know, we talk about Karoo's from... um, the original Ravnica cycle. This is uh, Everglades' is a, is a career cycle. Gotcha. Round five, play yet another black-red. Play the Brazilian. Close games, but honorable passage with the elite saves my behind. 20th after the first day for Captain Cali. Four, one, and one. So I, I guess the intimation is that he intentional drew round six, mm-hmm. right? John goes four and two, but crapped out on tiebreakers. Blah! Long buoy goes three and three and meets way too much jank to make it. Super Z slides into the second day with his piece of crap, which we rag on him about for another several hours. Day two. Play Bingen. So Sterlebingen is actually a good friend of mine from this era. He was a Euro champion and uh, probably more. Um, I play my first bloom player of the tourney. He beats the daylight out of me first game. I take a mulligan and draw five land and a wall of roots in the second. Great. Looks like it's going to be one of those days. We dance around, and he tries to turn one, uh, one turn too early to go off, and I draw my hall of gemstone. I put it out, but I still haven't drawn one of my seven enchantment removal. He kills my hall, and I make a clutch pull and draw another. Pull it out and ride its victory. Sturlus still hasn't seen any enchantment removal, so I talk while sideboarding as if I don't have any. The third, he Prosperities for six, and I disenchant his squandered resources in the third. I manage to get the hall out and torch off all his wall of roots. I win, but it was close. I feel very good, and Stirlis seems discouraged. He ends up going 5-0 after this and makes the final eight. A very impressive finish. P.S. Paul, an English judge, checks out my deck and proxies out the cards that are damaged, and I receive informal Katina warning number two. Because why would you play Sleeves? They're not exist at this point yeah. in time? know yeah. I did At this point, I had never played Sleeves. Wow. Yeah. I didn't play, start playing Sleeves until after Regionals of this year. The, the year of this turn. Actually, no, no, it's after regionals of the year after this turn. Wow. That's when I started playing sleeves. Uh, and I don't think we had opaque sleeves yet. So there was, like, clear sleeves, so even if your, your cards are damaged, you be able to see them or mark, right? So, I mean, this is the, the second year of the Pro Tour. A lot of that technology hadn't literally been developed
0: yeah.
1: yet. Yeah. Yeah, was a good man. He's from Norway. Round two, Captain Kelly dies horribly to, yes, the Chronotog. Kurt Fogett, my opponent, a very nice gentleman, took me down because of the silly thing. I feel okay after the loss, because I knew that my deck would lose to that sort of thing. Round three, beat up on straight black, win in less than 15 minutes due to scale bane elite. Round four, lose to John Chinook, playing bloom. My draws could not have been worse, and he crushes me (coughs) 2-0. Round five, beat John Sasso from NorCal. Do you know who John Sasso is today? Look it up. I just Oh. He's from NorCal. Feel bad as he loses the first game due to tardiness. I let him go first and the second, and he slaps me silly. I win the third in a close battle. Go find out what all the hubbub is about in the Chalice-Mordino match. Charlie sees me and says, Hacker! Pointing to the door. Oh, yeah, scouting's illegal. Informal Catino warning number three. Round 6 beat Graham Thompson from Scotland, a very nice guy. He draws poorly both games and I avenge his victory over Truck the first day. All in all not bad. 4 and 2 for 13th place. I feel happy with the performance. Super Z shows up all of us with his stunning finish 402. We ride him more about his deck, and then go out. Super Z goes home to sleep. Uh, I don't know if you understand the implication, but they've been making fun of Z- Super Z the entire article. Yeah, he just made top eight of the Pro Tour. In this, <laughs> this was his yeah. Um, Is he the best finish day one, or he he, he he slid into day two. He slid into day two, but they reset the records. Oh, back in the day they reset the records, okay. so his four zero two was good enough. Um, but hackers see he's like. Like, I told you back then, like, all of them would make top 16, and one of them would make top 8 of every Pro Tour. So how
0: many people were actually playing in the Pro Tours at this point?
1: Oh, this probably had 200 players. Okay. Yeah, so, but they were just really good, relative to the other players. Frank Gilson, Mark Chalice, Truck John, and I go out with Brian Wilson to the Queen. We all get in without a hassle while Chalice gets told, this is a gay club. Pretty funny. We have a good time, and my orange-slash-blue hair with the PVC jacket gets me some attention, and I end up getting my lips sucked off. We leave at 3.30 due to overcrowdedness and head back to the hotel. Super Z gets up on time, but gets lost on the Metro and loses the first game to Darwin Castle (laughs) due to forfeiture. We figure he dropped $23,000, as he would have beaten Long more than likely. His deck after sideboard is nothing but discard and efficient counters. And And had 53 pro player points if he lost to Justice. Oh well. Congrats to Mike and Mark and everyone else who did well. Team Dickhead continues its streak of four straight pros with a player in the top eight. Not bad for a four-man unit. We look forward to the Hick-Neck Challenge in New York and beating everyone down in qualifiers throughout the country. Good luck, Alien, on your bid to make it to the Big Apple. For the 7-Up Report, check out Pakula's excellent report on Paris. Just don't ask about Worth's flight out. Hacker, Team Dickhead. Nobody writes nobody writes tournament reports like that, do they? No, no. <laughs> All right, well, yeah. After you have to have an, you have to have some adventures. Yeah. If yeah. you don't, if you don't have any adventures, then what the like, you like? You'd be like, "Yo, Roman Fusco, Regionals 2018. We roll up to <laughs> Kerwins the, the morning of the <laughs> yeah. the morning of the event. We got up early, and I got a ride with." Cowlin' (laughs) Tiger. Then, we get some breakfast. It's Mickey D's. (laughs) Mickey D's cups of coffee. (laughs) I battle. Boom, boom, boom. Roman Fusco, playing for Top 8. Screw up on camera. Win anyway. (laughs) Win it all. Once again, Roman Fusco, time for celebrations. Hey, Roman, let's go to the club and celebrate your victory. No, Michael J., I'm boring. (laughs) Time for Mickey D's round two. Yes, I would like fries with that. Like, that's not not that exciting of a tournament report. Like, you got to have adventures. Like, you can't just be like, yeah, well, Mickey D's is a good thing to eat on the road. It's full of protein, carbohydrates, and fats. My game. <laughs> how I ran my tournament. Report? Of nutrition from the Mickey D's. <laughs> it keeps my blood sugar high enough that I don't pass out between rounds. Oh my
0: god!
1: I made some mistakes, but my opponents were even worse. Two-time regional champion <laughs> Robert Fusco. But if you spice it up, you know. Get your lips sucked off. Go to repeated gay clubs. Maybe find the love of your life. Tetka the, you know, the French model. <laughs> French model. You could. Or you could just go to Mickey D's twice. So, Let I me mean, ask you a question. The day you won regionals, where did you eat?
0: Where did I eat? Uh, On the way up, where did you eat? I think I had a bagel in the car from my friend's place. I was also extremely sick this day. <laughs> This is a sad, sad story. Um, I thought I was gonna die taking the train back home at like 3 a.m. from New You thought you were gonna die? My friend dropped me off at the Newark train station at like 3 a.m. All right, so I was like about to throw up. Um, I was just cradling the trophy in my bag. Yeah, like, no is, uh, one better steal this from me.
1: No one wants to hear this part of the podcast. This is just feeling sorry for yourself on the day of your greatest victory. That's true. All right, so let's talk about fun stuff instead. Okay. Uh, Pro Tour this weekend.
0: Who are you cheering for? Who am I cheering for? Okay, I have two friends who are there. Uh, local Chow Chen from Queens, <laughs> who won the PTQ at Grand Prix New Jersey uh, earlier this year. Serene for him. And then Hunter Cochran who I travel to a lot of big events with who's uh who top aided um the one in Nebraska recently with Marvel. Yeah. So those are two two local friends I'm rooting for, especially Chow because it's a, is a it's his first Pro Tour. Um yeah.
1: Um, I think uh, I'm gonna cheer for William, Baby Huey Jensen this week. Okay,
0: he just uh, off his Grand Prix win.
1: He w- it's his birthday today. Oh, okay. And uh, Huey won a Grand Prix last week, so that was like his pre-birthday present. I figured just you know f- finish out his uh his birthday week uh, celebration with uh, another. He's already a Pro Tour champion. Yeah, uh, but you know another another Pro Tour victory. I think it's kind of odd people talk about Owen and Reed as being like so great. And by the way, they are. You know, they are both very very good. Um, but like, somehow miss that the third member of the Peach Garden oath is like literally the third greatest Magic player of all time. <laughs> He's like really good. Uh, so yeah, I'm cheering for William Baby Huey Jensen. Cool. That's that's who uh, that's who my allegiance is going for this week. But if um you know he wants to battle against John Finkel and it goes the other way in the top four this week, I would be very happy to that. John Finkel is more or less my favorite Magic the Other professional player of all time. More or less, right? But I could see lots of different people doing well and be very happy for them. Andrew Cuneo, good man. I don't know. Um, Would you like me to cheer for? Well, I could cheer for Chris Bakula.
0: Yeah, not gonna. (laughs) I threw him a vote this week. Okay, (laughs) that's good. good At
1: least (laughs) good enough. Good enough.
0: Yeah. Um.
1: Uh, Let's see. What do you like in standard? Standard.
0: I like my next doll.
1: A lot. Your band deck?
0: Yeah. Deck is so sweet. Uh, so the... um, I feel like it just keeps getting good matchups. So they don't Do Have you the... played against the red deck yet? Not yet, but I... I, I, I assume
1: that like, they destroy you. I don't think so. Okay, here. They have they have Incendiary
0: Flow. You know what that card does? Yes, it deals three damage. And oh, what else does okay. it do? It exiles Primal Druid when it dies. Yeah, so your only early game defense
1: is Primal Druid. I have favorite inspectors. But they're just going to get run over.
0: They block Falcon, Wrath is fine. I don't know. I have, I have Mrs. Renewal. I have Fumigates. I have Gisela. I'm fine. They're, their deck is all... Ha- you're, you're citing Fumigate against a deck full of haste and embalm. They're, like, literally the two <laughs> kinds of effects yeah, that are best against the. Okay, what game? if my sideboard has, like, four Blessed Alliance?
1: Uh, I've been playtesting some Best Blessed Alliance this week. It has been very good for me. Okay. Um, yeah, so I did make a deck that is reminiscent of your... Well, we talked previously, I think, um, about a blue-green deck that we mm-hmm. tested. But I, made, I started working on a green-white one, so I think it would be disadvantaged against the blue-green deck specifically. But the blue-green deck in testing I had was really outstanding. But not very good against mono red. So if you're like good against every deck, but the deck that people actually play, that's that's not good enough. But I think a green white ramp deck might be just what the doctor ordered because uh, Thalia and Authority of the Councils, those are white cards that turn off haste really well. And so, mm-hmm. I was thinking that might be that might be an angle to go. I will just just give you a tiny tiny window into why I think this deck might be good because it's green-white instead of green-blue, we don't have to devote all this space to Lumbering Falls, right? Because we don't have a creature land.
0: Yeah.
1: Instead, can play Evolving Wilds, which helps with Delirium. Mm -hmm. What about this? Four Evolving Wilds, four Traverse of the Mm Uvenwald potential turn one plays to get what basic land? In our green-white deck. Forest slash plains? No and No. Wastes Wastes is correct, Roman Fusco. You have eight shots at waste. Actually, nine shots at waste, counting the waste itself, right? Okay. On turn one, which means you can play Ruin in their wake with only one waste in your deck. Okay. So, turn two ramp spell? Think about how much better your deck would have been if you had a turn two ramp spell instead Instead of a turn three three ramp spell. Yeah. Like, you got some kind of acceleration into Shaffet Monitor... Your Chef and Monitor, right? I mean, I'm just going to go into fours, right?
0: Yeah.
1: you know, Chef and Monitor. You could if you had like I have I have four Gisellas after sideboarding. Oh I have main cool. deck Gisella, but you can just go land Gisella on turn three. Like, how much better is your beatdown matchup if you're landing a Gisela on turn three? A lot better. A lot better, right? If you especially have four after sideboarding. Um, you know, or you could just do like a two plays in one turn. Like you can go um tireless tracker. Hit a land, you know, traverse the Umanwald or something on turn three. It's pretty, uh, turn three, while also getting a clue. It's very powerful, you know? (laughs) So you can do that and then just, you know, accelerate in your fives and sixes. I think this deck is a better Ishkina deck than the decks we were talking about before. It's like a medium Hour of Promise deck, but a great, great, great Descent Upon the Sinful deck. Yep. You got Cast Out, Traverse Upon the the Umanwald. Evolving Wilds, um, Dissenter's Deliverance, mm-hmm. just Thraeburn Inspector, and, and you do, as a speed bump, right? There's all manner of ways to get garbage into the graveyard of different types.
0: So. No, no primal Druid in this deck.
1: Yeah, I have four primal. Okay. Graveyard. How do you think I know how bad uh, Incendiary Flow is? I'm still running it, but it's, it's the thing is, Primal Druid's so bad against control, and it's only yeah. it's only okay against beatdown because like if you're playing against zombies,
0: it's good but if but but it's even not even zombies, that good yeah, they have two They wins can kill it i mean you're still blocking them right but it doesn't get around the menace guy the yeah it's like it's only okay like i'm not yeah. sure like i f- almost feel no, like no, i, I can more see ramp. We, could, we could be we could be down on that card yeah. it might not be as good as it, as it was like a, maybe a mix of three casting cost
1: ramp spells like you could play like two of the instant one and two of the cycling we one we could
0: play the yeah the cycling one
1: so that no. that can be your two turn two so the thing is the cycling one is a sorcery. I just want to get more like instants or enchantments mm-hmm. or something. Just play more cyclers, right? More cyclers just keep your deck moving, even if you're not accelerating. I'm not sure. I, Primal Druid is in my deck right now. I'm not complaining about him, but he is not good in in uh in non beatdown matchups. You just don't want him. Like he's great. Like every single time, I'm just like Primal Druid, and they're like use a bunch of resources to get out, like get out like uh, a. Uh, What's the forecast cost Hydra, Energy Hydra? Um, Not Uvenwald Hydra. No, I know what you're talking about. Um, Blistering Hydra. Bristling Hydra. Brist- bristling Hydra, sorry. So, and I'm just like, oh, I always win this game against, you know, lose, right? Like, I'm just going to accelerate him, and then I'm just going to go into, like, Hour Slash um, Descent Upon the Sinful, and then I'm just going to land Ulimogs. So here's the difference. I think this deck is way better against control than your Bant deck. Okay. I have four Trine of the Forsaken Gods and four ulamogs you have no shrine of the forsaken gods and one
0: Ulamog. Yeah, I so, guess but we—I guess the bandic had like the blue. You get access to like blue cards post-sideboard, right? Like the yeah, gates but, and Jace's defeat. But that's true. Jace's defeat is great. I mean, in the blue-green deck, is
1: great. But the best card against control, Oblivion Sower. Like cast it on six. First of all, it's super synergistic with shrine of the forsaken gods. Cast it on six. You always get card advantage, even if they have counterspell. You're just like, you could do stuff like, you could just flip their. Torrential gear hulk you might kill all their ways to win like randomly with uh with uh it's oblivion hard to Sour. kill too like a five eight it's not like the easiest thing to kill you I, I people are like else. it's not consistent that you're gonna millstone oblivion Sowers uh taking out their all their kills uh kill conditions yeah but it happens that's the thing like you're just like, so, what's the? Calculus well, they only in my... have like so many threats, right? You have
0: yes. Yeah, so if you, if also. you ever
1: randomly just like get, get one goal. of them, like they just that's one fewer way they have to win. Also, the process of milling them for four, even if you don't get any card advantage, actually puts them in a position where they have to beat you by non decking, right? Like, which people think, oh well, of course they're not even trying to deck you, but like, you're killing all their ways to win. They have a limited number of ways to beat you, you know. So, I'm telling you. Cannot say enough about Oblivion Sower as like a four of in these ramp sideboards. It is awesome. It is awesome against other ramp decks. It's all au- you have you played... you probably haven't played against people who are playing a lot of combustible gear hulks. Combustible gear hulks seems like a new thing people are playing. It's first of all, it's fantastic in these ma- matchups that are like all, all ramp against ramp kind of stuff. Like, flip over like two Ulamog. Flipping over Ulamog. I mean, serious, that's a thing. Like it's terrifying. You have to let them draw. Right? So yeah, uh, you know, I played against a lot of combustible gear Hulks in the last week, and, and it's actually good. That's a thing. Well, I don't know. Could be good. It's good against the decks I've been playing. I haven't been playing ramp decks, so mm-hmm. probably if I were playing like mono black zombies or like mono red, I'd be like, yeah, whatever, combustible gear hulk. I'll take my chances, you know, and just try to kill you. Break it. Yeah, you know. But, I mean, these kind of decks, it seems to be very effective. All right. Um, but yeah, Blessed Alliance is a great sideboard card, gaining life. It's also great against, like, if they have, like, one awesome attacker, you know? It's so good against one awesome attacker. You board in against Blue Red Control? No. Live. <laughs> Why would I do that? <laughs> I board in Oblivion Sower and. Or Tireless Tracker. Tireless Tracker. Okay. they're in the sideboard? Yeah, all the trackers are in the sideboard. That's so good, though. Yeah, and it's kind of weird that they're on the sideboard because um, the deck has like hours and stuff. So like Tyler Tracker Hour is like such an insane combo. Hey, deck. Can you imagine going like Tyler Tracker Hour for two, uh, for two evolving wilds, untapped? That's something. Please, to evolving top. wilds. Oh, they come and play tapped.
0: Yeah, but well, you untap, yeah, untap, and then go off. Literally draw eight cards.
1: Right, so you
0: maybe they, maybe it should be main deck.
1: So you get two cards from the hour. Two cards from the first... Oh, six cards? All right. Five mana, you draw six cards. That's like... It's like a blue spell. <laughs> I don't know. It's a uh, it's, deck seems pretty good. All right. I think, we, can, we'll, we should work on this. Yeah, I think like... R- RPTQ is coming up for me. Uh, so. I think this, this might be our thing. Mean, I think if we just... If we want to do... I'm confident... I'll play the green-white side. I'm confident I can beat every deck in the format that people actually play. Um, All right. If we can get it to beat Mon- Monos mono red, if we can get it to beat mono red, then that's the deck. You see, do you see my condition? Locked in. Yeah, like if people play my blue green deck, for example, they will annihilate the the green white deck. Right? Like, but
0: don't, people don't really play that. It's like a new deck, and I don't I think, don't think it's, people are going to go into RPQ saying, "Oh, I'm going to play Mike Flores' deck for this this event." I don't know. It's happened in the past, dude. Nah, that's
1: true. Uh, but I think the green white deck is like, I think it's super advantaged against um, a, lot, yeah. a lot of the other decks people
0: are playing. I mean, as long as I think... We can beat the control and, like, the blue-white God Pharaoh's Gift deck that now seen play. Oh,
1: you know, that's a good point. I haven't tested against God Pharaoh's Gift. Okay. And that,
0: that deck might be that, awesome. I think. But we have main I deck, think we'll see that like, a lot of the pro We have we main deck, Descender's Deliverance. So that's true. That's and good cast out. which, you know. Think, yeah. So maybe we are a like, favorite against it. I, I don't know. But, well,
1: I think we. I think it's fair to say we have action against it. Sure, we But, action. like, just because you have a dis- disenchant in your deck doesn't mean you're actually advancing yeah, but, this Yeah, but
0: most decks don't have disenchant in their deck.
1: Um, but yeah, it's actually not that because so we just land the we just land the But actually, um, there is like some kind of uh, remove the graveyards kind of card.
0: Uh, Crook of Condem- condemnation. That's really good against Godfrey's God yeah. gift, right? So that could be card play too. Yeah. So if we just go that direction,
1: maybe Godfrey's gift isn't a problem because they can get all the Godfrey's gifts they want if they can't trigger it. It's no big deal. But Godfrey's gift is awesome. I would totally. I think I'd totally work on that thing too. But, I mean, end of the day, if you can't beat them, it's, it's really should just be Raging Kenras or whatever. It's just really, like, on crops, you know. I don't even know the names of these cards. They're just red. They've red got, beaters. like, little, little swirly fireballs in the top right corner. And they sit next to a braids and magma sprays and, in, and incendiary flows. And you just, you're in. In for three, in for two, in for four. You're just in, in, in. That's what I got this week. All right. All right. This has been the Ancestral Recall podcast. A tiny tribute to the great Brian Hacker. Hope you enjoyed it. If you enjoyed it, please tell us so by going on to iTunes and saying, What a great episode! We loved it! Brian Hacker made out with Tetka, the French model. Uh, And, you know, leave like a five-star rating. Uh, If you're still listening, for some reason you didn't love it, this is like a weird non-overlapping Venn diagram circles here. Like, I did not like this podcast, and yet I cannot turn away. Uh, you should just uh, tweet at Roman underscore Fusco and be like, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> that whole segment about you eating McDonald's
0: was not entertaining.
1: You know, like, just do that. Yeah. He deserves Just look at him.
0: He deserves what? it. Look at me. What does that mean?
1: In the much more likely event that you just, you know, want to drop rose petals on the ground before Michael J. as he walks down the road. Just be like, hey, Michael J., I'd like to drop rose petals on the ground, you know, just so you have rose petals to walk on. And I'd be like, hey, I appreciate the sentiment, friend. But instead, why don't you go to iTunes and leave a (laughs) five-star rating? Why don't you subscribe to the Ancestral Recall podcast? Why don't you go out into your social media network, your Facebook, your Twitter, your what do people have? Bumble, Instagram, Tumblr, Tinder, I don't know. <laughs> Why don't you go on to OKCupid and be like, I love this podcast! Like, all the girls would be like, sounds like a great podcast. <laughs> I'm going to stop swiping right right now, and I'm going to go listen to it. That will be like dropping roses in front of me as I walk down the street. Bring it all together. What do you think, Roman? I like it. All right. Thanks, <laughs> all right. Canada. Thank you right